0: Guys, welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, registered dietitian.
1: And I'm Sophie Bertrand, registered nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast.
0: Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc.
1: Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is.
0: I don't even know what we
1: do. This week's episode is sponsored by Yumchi, which is a delicious kimchi brand that is natural, certified organic, raw, and unpasteurized. It's 100% plant based and naturally fermented in Hackney, London. It is not your average kimchi, it's packed with billions of gut friendly bacteria and it's got a mild and tangy taste. We absolutely love it.
0: I'm a huge fan of kimchi. It's an authentic fermented vegetable dish, and you can eat it on its own, or you can pair it with other foods in soup, salads, stir fries, or even use it as a sauce. I'm a huge lover of avocado toast, eggs, and kimchi. The other thing that's great about yumchi is that it is female founded. Yumchi is the brainchild of Japanese Korean chef and kimchi expert Lily Harasawa. So, as we said, Yumchi is 100% natural and full of plenty probiotics.
1: We love the probiotic foods. If you want to check them out, you can follow them at Yumchi Kimchi on Instagram or head to their website, yumchi.co, and check out their delicious kimchi.
0: Yumchi is giving the Forking Wellness community 20% off their next order if you go to www.yumchi.co and use Forking Kimchi at checkout. That's all capitals, forking kimchi at www.yumchi.co. Enjoy. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. Today we have a very exciting and timely guest on.
1: Yes, we are speaking to registered dietitian Hala El Shafi. Hi, Halla.
0: Hi there, both of you.
1: Thank you so much. I know how busy you are. So we so appreciate your time. And I honestly couldn't think of anyone better to speak to in regards to this week's topic, which is eating disorders.
0: As it's Eating Disorder Awareness Week, we really wanted to have this conversation and just open open the conversation to normalize that this is happening, it's happening around us and how can we best help those who are suffering or just educate ourselves a bit more about eating disorders in general.
1: Yeah so Hallo, if you want to kick off and just give us a brief overview of kind of your background and actually how you got into uh, eating disorder practice.
2: Okay so um, I am a registered dietitian and I specialize in eating disorders and also bariatric surgery so I deal with both extremes of people's relationship with food and I've been practicing dietetics for 20 years now um, and focusing on supporting people with healing their relationship with food for the past 15 years and that was the real basis of why I set up Nutrition Rock so we do a lot of work supporting women um, around body image issues and disordered eating because I'm you know my, my, my main focus is to try and keep people out of hospitals because mm. in the inpatient setting I'm seeing seeing the extremes of eating disorders which is devastating in actual fact it's very de- devastating
1: it really is and actually if, if if no you know no one knows who Hala is if you don't follow her page Nutrition Rocks all you need to do is hit follow to realize how passionate she is about spreading this message. Um, You do so much work um, right down to as well, actually fighting messages out there because we know you can have an eating disorder or you can have a disordered relationship with food. There's kind of a bit of a spectrum there Mm -hmm. and even just these kind of messages on social media about, you know, losing weight and diet pills and all that kind of triggering stuff. (laughs) You're doing so much to kind of fight against that. Thank you. I think when,
2: you know, you're a clinician and you basically spent your life's work trying to support people. And in the end, you know, there are cases where you just can't save people and we lose them. They die. You know, that's the ultimate um, tragedy of eating disorders, you know, either through the um, you know, clinical um, irregularities that happen as a result of eating disorders or suicide, you know, and it's devastating, it's absolutely devastating, and it never gets any easier. Um, And so if I can save one person from going down that route, then so be it.
0: That's so powerful, and just so amazing. And I completely agree with everything that you were saying. And I think it's really interesting to sort of like jump the gun straight into things, but um, that eating disorders are considered a mental health disorder. And Mm -hmm. actually, anorexia is the eating disorder with the highest mortality rate or the mental health disorder with the highest mortality rate is that is that still true that's that's exactly
2: right yeah and I think that the issue is um people don't see the devastation that I've seen there is a lot of um glamorizing of eating disorders Mm -hmm. people flippantly using the term oh god I wish I was anorexic as in meaning you know I wish you could get into a smaller gene de- size or something you know it's and I and I wouldn't wish anybody to have seen the devastation that I have seen but if you saw that there is absolutely nothing glamorous about it it's incredibly mm. serious it's devastating not only for the individuals who are suffering but also for their family their friends and their partners and it ruins lives even if you survive it The other aspect is people having severe and enduring um, Mm -hmm. uh, anorexia, for example, and your whole life is lost through this condition. And the longer you have an eating disorder, the less likely you are to be able to recover. And so getting support as soon as it's feasibly possible is absolutely crucial.
1: Absolutely. How would you or is there kind of this definition that clinicians go by in terms of how an eating disorder is defined?
2: Yes, I mean, there are a number of different types of um, eating disorder, Um, you know, and a lot of people are more you know, commonly understand, you know, that there's anorexia, there is uh, bulimia. But the most common um, eating disorder is actually binge eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's um, the focus for beets. Uh, campaign this week which I'm very happy about because there's an yeah. awful lot of shame attached to binge eating disorder and very little help out there and um, even if people go to their GPs for support often GPs are not really well equipped oh, really? enough to actually be able to support patients when they come in um, and you know there are still a lot of misconceptions and bias even from healthcare professionals and there needs to be a lot more education around this area so that people can be directed to the right support the other issue is because of lockdown we have had a devastating increase in all of the eating disorders and disordered eating also i mean the clinic is absolutely full with waiting mm-hmm. lists of people's waiting to be seen and that highlights you know that the nhs right now is struggling to be able to meet the demand um of you know people suffering basically and uh, seeing as mental health services have had all of their funding cut um over years you know it's some you know the the number of patients requiring support has increased but the services are not there Mm, you
0: know and that
2: puts it that puts an intense pressure on clinicians as well working in the area it's it's a mess
0: yeah It it is very like sad when we actually like pick out the different like statistics of like the rise in eating disorders and the rise in mental health Mm -hmm. um, conditions and then the the continuing decrease in funding. It is just so evident. But for some reason, public health hasn't just they haven't figured it out yet. And it's incredibly sad. But to go back to what you said before, we've seen a rise of eating disorders during lockdown. Can you Mm -hmm. touch on that and why you think that is like, is it Because we know eating disorders aren't about the food, right? No, no, exactly right. Um, You know, first and foremost,
2: this is a mental health issue. And whilst I'm a registered dietitian specializing in the area and an expert in the psychology of eating, I'm not a psychologist. And all of these um, uh, conditions require psychology input. You know, first and foremost, they are um, issues that impact a person's mental health. So with regards to... Lockdown and the situation that we've uh, we've all been um, subjected to, you know, the increase in anxiety, uh, depression, loneliness, isolation, um, you know, the list continues, has impacted people severely. So if there was an issue before, all of their coping strategies, seeing friends, um, you know, um, spending time with family, uh, you know, have all been removed. So it has highlighted, and so I know a number of people um, that have actually been diagnosed within lockdown for the first time, and the reason it's shown itself is because of the lockdown. So they couldn't hide their eating disorder anymore, or should I say they tipped over the edge uh, during that time because of of the situation that we're living in, which is, you know, none of us in our our living history have have ever experienced the situation that we're living in at the moment.
1: Yeah definitely and I know you, obviously you're a dietitian not a psychologist but you have so much experience and you know longevity in terms of working with clients and patients yeah. like this could you highlight some of what the kind of short-term and long-term side effects both physically and psychologically are that you have seen because you, you mentioned about early intervention and how important that is maybe you could kind of touch on how severe those consequences are in regards to how long you've been suffering for.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, what a lot of people um, don't uh, realize is that so take bulimia nervosa, for example, is that you know you don't have to be severely underweight, for example, yeah. to be suffering from an eating disorder, right? Um, in fact, any of the eating disorders. I was going to say it's such, yeah, a it's, it's such a
1: misconception.
2: Such a misconception, even with anorexia nervosa, because um, it, it's to do with your mindset and mm-hmm. and, and the amount of weight that has been lost so you could technically still be right weight for height but still be presenting as anorexic does that make sense and this has been changed um, in our understanding so when people are presenting you know your how you look is not an indicator and that often in itself can be such a huge issue with regards to accessing services Mm. because they do have very strict criteria and guidelines and the issue that I have with that is sometimes a person's history isn't taken into account, just mm-hmm. their weight and their BMI. And that what that then does is if somebody cannot access the, the, the help that they desperately need, it then triggers them to say, well, okay, then I'll go and lose the weight. I'll, I'll go and lose Ill. the extra.
0: How about that? Completely... How about I do that? And...
2: Yeah. Completely
0: agree with that. That's like, it's one of the really big issues. Like, when we were doing our placements for our yeah. masters in inpatient eating disorder, you know, the BMI criteria mm-hmm. to get a place in the inpatient. Wards where you know sometimes as low as thirteen, and they had to turn people away if they you know weren't that low because it wasn't as severe as maybe Mm -hmm. someone else who could have that space. And the message that I feel like that sends to someone in that situation is, you're not sick enough, get sicker, and then we can help you. And there's that big disparity. Exactly, and 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 that's the same with the other side
2: of the coin as well, with severely um, you know obese patients who are waiting for bariatric surgery because they have maybe not met that line, they then also go away and do the same and say, right, fine, I'll go and binge myself into mm. being able to fit into your criteria. And that, to me, is just, mm. you know, a, a terrible situation that we're in, that we're pushing people who clearly are presenting and need help. Um, but there just isn't the support on enough clinicians out there to to meet the, the demand. And, and, and we need more
1: people to support.
0: Mm-hmm yeah
1: it's It's actually really worrying because i actually remember when i was suffering i i felt embarrassed that i wasn't a low enough weight at some points and for anyone listening who maybe is suffering with an eating disorder and perhaps feels the same that you know they haven't lost enough weight or they're not big enough what would you say to them i mean how how can we might kind of get this message across and help these people if i mean if there is anything you could say (laughs) The first thing is your situation and your feelings are
2: valid, right? That's mm-hmm. the first thing that I want people to t- to understand, right? If you take nothing away from today's podcast, your situation and your feelings are valid. It is not about your weight. It's not about a dress size and it is not about your BMI, okay? I want to just make that very, very clear. Mm-hmm. The other aspect is please reach out for help. Either take, um, you know, either... Speak to a friend, a family member, or reach out to one of the many um, support helplines, such as BEAT, and we'll we'll add those later, I'm sure. Sophie, Definitely. You know, yeah. And we also have a lot of information on the Nutrition Rock site as well. But the first thing that people must be doing is to reach out and tell somebody. Go to speak to your GP and demand. To, you know, If you're not getting what you need, change your GP. Yeah, it's as simple as that. If you're not getting the okay. support that you need and you're not being listened to, and the reason I'm so definite about this is because I have seen the devastating effect of when this is left. It doesn't end well. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the sooner that you can access help and the sooner you can admit that there is a problem, the sooner you can get the help that you need.
1: Definitely. How relevant is it, the amount of time that someone's been suffering for in regards to prognosis? Very
2: very relevant indeed so the sooner um you get help the better the prognosis we see this um in children in actual facts um, and generally speaking what tends to happen is in child adolescent um, units um they tend to get better um much quicker but you have teachers you have um parents you have lots of people um making sure that it doesn't escalate for Mm. for too long a time if that makes sense whereas with adults they can hide yeah. And the problem with that is if a person doesn't actually want to seek help for themselves, then they literally have to wait until they're sectioned. So they're either a danger to themselves or somebody else. And at that point, we're really in a very, very serious situation clinically.
1: Is there a time, because I when I was doing my research in my postgraduate, I was looking at patients who were suffering with an eating disorder who had been suffering for less than five years and mm-hmm. kind of what their symptoms were and how how, how it had affected their life mm-hmm. and I compared that research to my mentors research who had looked at patients who had been suffering for more than 20 yes. years which we call yes. seed severe, severe. And enduring. Severe. Mm-hmm. um and the, I mean the, the the differences were so apparent you know yeah um but is there a time that kind of you've come across personally or maybe you've seen in the research that is kind of that really you know is it longer than five years and there's less I mean recovery or... I would
2: like to always hold a hope for mm. anybody you know so you know that's that's the first thing that I would like to say but generally speaking, and I say generally because it, this you know the, the, the research is out there but everybody's individual and it doesn't mean that um it couldn't be a different outcome for you but gen- generally speaking if somebody has had um, an eating disorder for 10 years or more the prognosis is is pretty poor for recovery, mm-hmm. yeah? That doesn't mean that you couldn't have some um, level of quality of life, uh, but again, you have to want to get better. And that's that's also a crucial aspect of this, of recovery, is that if you don't want to get better, it doesn't matter how much support mm-hmm. you have. It doesn't matter how excellent the multidisciplinary team are around you. It's just not going to happen without your input so you know we can hold a hope but the individual is is required also to to fight on their own behalf also you've got to, yeah. want to get better even if it's really really challenging and it is
0: challenging mm-hmm. i don't i have never met a yeah. situation that isn't challenging you know yeah i i mean yeah i feel like for a lot of people and i can't speak from a personal standpoint but what i gather is that someone's eating disorder can almost be like their security blanket and it's really hard and it becomes their identity, doesn't it? So it's very hard to, you know, let that go. Is there anything that you've seen in kind of like treatment that is really motivating for people? So anything that they hear or anything that you can educate them on that kind of just helps them go into the right direction and start considering, I mean, we can go down the whole thing of like when your brain is malnourished, you can't really think the same way. Yeah, that's
2: absolutely true, and certainly in the inpatient um, setting, when patients are very low weight, therapy isn't really a, a part of the treatment. It's it's literally the nutrition mm-hmm. and making sure that you're medically stable, and we start to repair the body. That's you know that's it's a, it's it's an emergency situation, right? So first and foremost, we have to stabilize somebody medically. After that we have a chance to actually engage in therapy. But obviously the higher the weight, um, the better able you are to have the um, ability to be able to engage and the cognitive ability to be able to engage as well, which is really, really crucial as well. You know, it has an impact on your emotional stability, your sleeping patterns, you know, all of the aspects of well-being. you know, food and, you know, our nutrition are absolutely crucial to that. And of course, that's the most challenging aspect um, in there. So, you know, um, at home, having that family support or a partner support and encouragement is absolutely crucial rather than, you know, having people seemingly checking up on them. And, you know, because it's, it's a really challenging environment for everybody involved. And so we as clinicians also are supporting family members and partners as well to be able to be able to give the the right support
1: yeah I remember when i um, just talking about treatment Barry will probably remember as well when we did our master's together and we would often look at inpatient versus outpatient treatment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my mentor had a very um specific view on this and he believed that outpatient was arguably better because he saw inpatient um impatience yeah. kind of um there was a lot of comparison there was yeah. a lot of competition absolutely What's a lot your of learning. About? Yeah. What did you say, Barry? Sorry, I missed that. Like a
2: lot of learning from yes. one another. yeah Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> this is a huge issue in the inpatient setting mm. because um, people can literally learn. It can become an incredibly competitive environment, which we uh, as members of the MDT are very well aware of and that is part of our you know practices is is to look at that but it's incredibly challenging when people are in long-term inpatient care that they don't become almost professional anorexics Mm -hmm. you know and almost uh, more experienced you know that is the risk that is the risk so actually staying away from other people who have the illness is 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 actually better so your mentor was was correct for all of those reasons now there's a difference between having a support group and um you know having an environment such as the inpatient setting yeah. because it's also the nature of the illness as well that's that's the other aspect
0: yeah yeah it is it's it's one of those things where like you need the support and you need to maybe change that environment that you were in before mm-hmm. but it's like how to navigate um making yeah. sure that you're still on progress and you're not you know it's not getting worse while you're in there it's i it's guess such a fine line yeah such a fine it's, line it's incredibly nuanced and then i guess that would lend me on to a different question which going back i'm just thinking back to when we did our masters and the things that we learned about one of the things that not that i struggled to understand because I completely understand it, but was like um, to help people weight restore and to gain weight. It it really is just about getting them as much food as they can to, you know, increase their BMI, Mm -hmm. to have all their bodily functions, Mm -hmm. you know, go Mm -hmm. back to stability. But do you think that there's an argument to include kind of nutrition education, not nutrition education, but taking into consideration different things? So for example, my dissertation was on gut health. Uh, the gut microbiome and inpatient anorexia and should that be considered in recovery in terms of if you don't use it you lose it certain types Mm of gut functions Mm -hmm. um do you think that that should be included or it's really just let's help these individuals gain weight in whichever they can to Mm -hmm. restore
2: that's such a good question and the issue is when somebody is of a very low weight the priority is an emergency situation so at Mm. all costs literally it's about the calories it's about energy density and it's about getting that energy in and the challenging situation as well um when somebody is at a very low bmi is that they physically have to eat significantly more Mm. than what they would do if they were at a healthy weight does that make sense so Mm -hmm. it is the amount of of, of food that they're being prescribed is I mean, it, it's challenging anyway. But at that level, it's, it's such a traumatic situation for them and what they have to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it's not easy. But to answer your question, yes, in an ideal situation, absolutely. However, we are dealing with, certainly in the NHS setting, incredibly short, um, short-staffed um, teams, um, really poor budgets as well. You know, um, so that also dictates the type of food that can be ordered in, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are lots of factors, but yes, in the ideal set- setting, that that would be wonderful. You know, we'd also mm-hmm. have, you know, environments with beautiful landscapes and fresh air and sunshine and all the things. But if you look at most psychiatric treatment set- centres in the United Kingdom they're probably not the most inviting of places. I'm not saying that that's for all, but the majority of them certainly in the United Kingdom are not anywhere that you would conducively want to get better for anybody, yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah. So if you can stay out of them, absolutely. Because also the level of institutionalization that happens as a result, particularly with eating disorders, you know, and, I, and I've worked in... Um, Uh, clinical centers with long-term care so the patients are staying for one two years maybe even longer and then we also have a revolving door situation so they literally patch them up which is I think what you were alluding to Barry and Mm -hmm. then within a period of time because without the the therapy and access to the therapy they literally come straight back in and it's kind of like a patch-up job which is just Mm -hmm. terrible it's terrible
1: I think going back to what you said as well, you said it's such a traumatic experience for them. And it is because, like you said, they're having to eat more than they would do if they were, yeah. at, you know, a normal weight, whatever that might yeah. look for for them. And it's a really horrible period that, unfortunately, anyone who wants to recover does have to push uh-huh. through.
2: Uh-huh.
1: What, what are some kind of symptoms you can highlight maybe for someone who is trying to restore their weight right now? Um, things like digestive, um, yeah, digestive symptoms.
2: Or, OK, so anybody with an eating
1: disorder you must be working
2: with a professional so one of the mm-hmm. um, um uh, things particularly with um, anorexia um is that uh, uh, which we're always looking at certainly in the inpatient setting is refeeding syndrome which can kill yes. people instantly okay yeah. um i'm not going to get into that um we'll, uh, we'll look at some information looks, in the show notes it, it, yeah but uh, it is Um, you know, a condition where basically sudden death can happen. So the reason you need to work with um, a registered dietitian who's experienced in this area and do this work gradually is so that you do not impact and trigger um, this situation, which can happen and does happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we always feed patients very, very slowly when we are, when they have, just come into a treatment center and that's why the multidisciplinary team is so important now my biggest concern at the moment is with remote working is that depending on where somebody is will also be dependent whether I agree to see them or not because there's only so much that you can do on a zoom call at a Mm. distance and also if somebody then potentially checks out or doesn't turn up to a session it's it's incredibly challenging and worrying as well. So you also need—I always work with um, a, a psychologist, I have contact with their GP as well. But they have to be stable, um, mm-hmm. and it's more about progressing their recovery, um, at, you know, in the outpatient setting. But there's lots of considerations.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about kind of very, very low BMIs. What about if your BMI is kind of? 17 18 19 okay. maybe even higher uh-huh. um you're maybe at home at the moment knowing yes. that you're suffering with an eating disorder yeah what what's the first step that you might advise that people can start doing because it's so daunting isn't it i mean where the where the hell do you start yes. when you want to recover from an eating disorder yeah
2: so the first thing is uh, you know if somebody is listening to this podcast and they're thinking actually this is me you mm-hmm. know is reach out, get some, get some help. You know, I, I can't help everybody um, personally. Yeah. But if somebody is really struggling and they reach out, I can definitely direct them. We have lots of resources with helplines. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are in a more financially stable situation, I would definitely recommend speaking and seeing a specialist um, registered dietitian who's experienced in eating disorders. And we have mm-hmm. links to uh, specialists as well on uh, the Nutrition Rocks um, sites that people can, who people can access that's yeah. the first thing you must tell somebody and you must seek
1: professional help I was This is going to just saying it out loud what, I think is important
2: yes exactly that's the first step tell somebody you know or if you can't tell somebody write it down go to your GP and hand them that piece of paper or hand it to somebody else because mm-hmm. that's the first point is to is to admit that there's a problem and then to start the process of getting some support. Now, we talked about getting help sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, you have a chance, you know, uh, to keep somebody out of the hospital setting is, uh, is definitely what we want to do. And you have a chance of uh, recovery, um, a much greater chance of recovery, full recovery, um, the sooner that we basically get that, get that support. And there is no shame attached to seeking out. It is harder to reach out for support than it is to stay in your illness. That's also what mm-hmm. I would say. I love you know, that it you said takes that. it takes an incredible amount of courage to mm-hmm. say, "I need help. I am struggling. I cannot do this anymore."
0: Yeah. There is
2: no shame whatsoever. And you know, if anybody does reach out and say, "Look, I, I'm struggling. You know, I don't know how to seek help," we'll, we'll look to see. Um, you know how how we can support you or um refer you on to maybe beats for example they have incredible volunteers there as well
0: yeah i think that's fantastic advice and i absolutely love that and just admitting it to yourself and like you said if you can't physically say it to someone writing it down and just handing someone mm-hmm. a note is so mm-hmm. incredibly impactful and maybe that's mm-hmm. an easier way for you to do it i think that's fantastic advice Now, we spoke a lot about people who might be struggling with anorexia or restricting. Uh But what about people, especially in lockdown, um, who are experienced with more episodes of binging, Uh um, who might not meet the criteria for Uh maybe binge eating disorder, which I think is super, like, the whole idea of a binge is like the most subjective term in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, we can go through like what a clinical binge actually is, uh-huh. but one person's binge might be another person's lunch. But that's exactly. still a very real feeling for that person. If, if that is what they consider a binge, like it's not to negate their emotions that that felt out of control or that felt stressful for them. But do you have any like tips for people who are going through that right now? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting because actually, only today we did a
2: post on Nutrition, on um, the Nutrition Rocks Instagram page, specifically on binge eating disorder. And what you're saying, Barry, is absolutely correct. Not to mitigate, you know, your, your um, previously, it, it, you know, the DSM um, 5 uh, diagnostic manual would say um, a large amount of food, but actually, it's relative to you and it's really more around your distress. And how that impacts you and impacts your life and the frequency of how um, that happens and also the run up to that, the triggers to doing that. It's not about deciding one day, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a bit hungry today and I've had um, a, a bit more. People use the term binge um, very, very flippantly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we use it in everyday life. Like, I'm yeah. going to binge watch Netflix. Like, that is yeah, genuinely absolutely. become absolutely, Absolutely. That's taken out of context. Yeah, but it's a very, very
2: serious um, condition, and it is the most prevalent of all of the eating disorders. And in fact, it actually affects one in fifty of us. So even so if you people. don't know, yeah, even if you don't know, you will know somebody who mm-hmm. has binge eating disorder. Yeah, there is so much shame attached to this particular eating disorder, which is also what stops people from actually seeking help and also this assumption that either you're greedy you don't have any discipline which has absolutely nothing to do with this condition and that often is also why people don't go and seek help I had uh, had a number of patients who actually went to their GP and who were laughed at because they mm-hmm. did, that GP didn't understand and literally was like, "Well, you know, eat less, move more," and that's also the biggest concern. We need to do an awful lot of training with GPs still, mm-hmm. specifically around this, because the absolute last thing that you want to do with a patient if they're coming to you with support, say, um, yeah, and and their weight is brought up, for example, and a GP then su- suggests a diet or some kind of restriction not understanding that this person actually has an eating disorder, such as binge eating disorder, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And I've seen this so okay. many times, and so much education still needs to happen in regards to this. But going back to your question, again, reach out and get help, yeah? Mm. Because the sooner you get the support for that, the, the, um, the better. And again, psychology is crucial for this. It's absolutely crucial, because what tends to happen it is a, a people are using food as a coping mechanism to deal with their emotions
0: mhm yeah i actually um so i remember when we were doing our studying that i believe and i don't know if this is still a true hollow but in the in the nice guidelines the first mm-hmm. line of kind of treatment for people with binge eating disorder was kind of like oh see if a self-help book resonates yeah I remember. and that. I remember doing this research on my mm-hmm. own and I ordered I typed in into Amazon um mm-hmm. self-help oh, I, I remember us
1: having this conversation actually
0: mm-hmm. yeah self-help binge eating and this the number one book was this like it was quite small whatever it was written by a Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called Never Binge Again. And I read it because I wanted to yep. glue up on what people were being mm-hmm. recommended to read. And the doctor described your need to binge as your inner pig. And you need to quiet the <gasps> screen. Oh my god. I know inner. exactly
2: I know exactly what you're talking about because
0: I'm absolutely
2: horrified myself
0: Horrified. Like, horrified. horrified yeah. As if someone struggling with binge eating disorder doesn't have already an immense like amount of guilt and shame but now their yes, yeah. their yeah. mental health disorder is being described as a pig which also in you know today's society has connotations with dirty or you know yeah. things like that yeah. um, and I am just so shocked that that is the number one best-selling I don't know if it still is but at the time when I was <laughs> it was the number you know, one search number one searched and Amazon recommended and you know do we ever think there's going to be more like anyone can and he's a doctor or a psychologist or whatever so it's like there are people with credentials but do you ever think that we're going to I don't know how to deal with that like from I just don't know it's just I just want to hear your thoughts on that
2: I mean I can't even catch my breath right now because you took me back to that that, that place of, of uh hearing that for the first time like you did I took a sharp intake of, of breath I mean mm-hmm. if that is a clinician's perspective I mean what chance has somebody got? when they're going for help and support. The lack of understanding, even within healthcare professionals, is something else. I mean, it it, and there needs to still be significant education around this. Mm Significant. You know, it's also steeped in weight stigma, Mm -hmm. unconscious bias. I mean that I mean that's a whole different podcast. But, you know, education 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 that's what we need so we that do. patients are not subjected to this kind of terminology the language that we use when we're counseling patients and supporting them is absolutely fundamentally mm-hmm. important not only can you harm somebody or lose them you can actually impact somebody so that they're triggered you don't know where they are but mm-hmm. that, that person could be triggered to commit suicide I've heard this happen. I have seen this over, you know, so many years of clinical practice, um, situations that should never, ever have happened, just as Mm -hmm. a result of the fact that the lack of education around the people that are dealing with this is still so poor. Mm It's negligence as far as I'm concerned. I know that's a very powerful statement that I've just made, but it's the truth.
1: Well, I think it just shows how passionate you are. And actually, I'm sure you're the same. I mean, if we if we were to think about it too much, it actually makes you quite emotional. Yeah. Because like you said, it it is taking lives.
2: And it's tearing
1: families apart. And it like you said, at the beginning, it's not just the person going through it. No. Everyone who loves you is affected by this. Yes. I mean, on the flip side
2: of that, there are some excellent clinicians out there there are some excellent Mm -hmm. services excellent registered dietitians specializing in this area and psychologists and teams and so again getting um a gp that listens is the first point call because that's your access point particularly for the Mm -hmm. nhs okay and then also um accessing support groups contacting beat um you know listening to podcasts as well Knowing that you're not alone, you know, and it's excellent that you're doing these um, podcasts because, you know, these are podcasts that I would share with um, clinicians or medical students who are interested in this field because having an understanding of that from the start Mm. will impact your career for me personally. Um, I actually did my dissertation around eating disorders. That's that's why I had um, an interest and an understanding around the psychology of eating um, from a very early start. This wasn't something that was taught to me and isn't actually taught in dietetics Mm. traditionally. So I've probably read as many texts in psychology (laughs) that you would need to do to do a psychology degree, but that was all self-taught and self-learning. And I was actually fascinated. And what that actually taught me was that when i started to go into practice that it actually doesn't matter where you are on the weight scale or the BMI scale it's nothing to do with that it's Mm -hmm. an emotional disturbance often um triggered by trauma very often in 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 childhood um that hasn't been dealt with yeah Mm -hmm. and the 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 symptoms you know what people are using on is food whether that's under eating restriction yeah or overeating. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's where
2: most people don't actually, um, who who haven't got a a, a really good understanding, really, that's where the the training and the teaching really needs to come. So when you're understanding that it's to do with an underlying issue, then we've already broken most of the taboos um, related to disordered eating and eating disorders um, that, that are out there.
1: I think something that upsets me the most as well is kind of I know we're a lot more educated and like you said we have great clinicians and I'm so, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen so many success stories as well mm-hmm. which is amazing but when someone kind of their view is you know why don't you just eat or why don't you just not eat <laughs> you know as if it's the choice that this yeah. person's making every single day yeah and like we said it's so much more than that there's so much more psychology behind it it's so incredibly um
2: complicated and intricate you know there are so many um, facets to sure. the, the eating disorder and that's why you need the multidisciplinary team you know it, it's it's so much more than just one clinician support um, to be able to overcome and it's not just your medical team it's also the, the support of your family and friends and uh, you know other support groups that are that are out there to be able to get you know it takes a village almost to get mm-hmm. you through um and I, I actually yeah and I, I don't know if this is appropriate to ask here but Sophie from from your perspective because you've been very open about your own recovery which was incredibly brave and Thank courageous you. um but for you I think it would be interesting for for people to just hear as well is that you know how long did it take you and um how many people did it take would you say you know all of the people if you think of you know your length of time you know
1: yeah over to you it it took a lot of people because I was impatient at one point and actually my experience of impatient was really positive and I was I was sharing a house with seven other girls and one guy and we all got on really well and we were really supportive and encouraging encouraging of each other and we had some great therapists I say my family were the most important mm-hmm. part of my recovery and okay. I it makes me want to cry to think that anyone would go through an eating disorder without the support of their family because mm-hmm. it really is what got me through I was only in inpatient for four months so but my recovery was not four months if I think from when I first saw my first therapist to when I actually felt I got my life back I would say it was a good eight years of my life Um, and that is from the moment that you know I Mm -hmm. told my mom I had an eating disorder up until like I said I fully felt like I got my life back Mm -hmm. so that wasn't kind of intense and you know traumatic the whole time but it is a really long journey and if Please just dedicate yourself to it because it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. And don't ever yeah. be put off by how long it could take. Because like you said, it's so much worse staying in the eating disorder. You just you can't get much worse than that. So, I, I have never met anybody
2: who's recovered that regrets it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> completely. Yeah, And, you know, we all know somebody who has an eating disorder. You know, mm-hmm. uh, anybody listening to it, if you're not going through it yourself, you will know somebody who mm-hmm. is. You know, mm-hmm. um, it is so prevalent. And it also is a reflection of the society that we live in and the attitudes mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I, I think it's important to, to you know, refocus again that this isn't about a number on the scale. It's about something much, much deeper. And that is, you know, it's not something that needs to be healed in yeah. order to recover.
0: I think it's probably... Um, one of the things is that, you know, everyone has to eat, we all eat, whether we have a negative relationship with food, whether we have a positive relationship with food, we all eat. So for someone who doesn't have a trauma, or someone who has a good relationship with food, it's so easy to assume what that other person's thinking, be like, oh, just Mm -hmm. eat, or, you know, but yeah. they don't mm-hmm. understand. Or just eat healthy. Or just eat yeah. three meals a day. Yeah. Exactly. And it's because we all do it. Whereas, like, I know this is not a fair comparison. And I really apologize if this, like, is not the best way I could say it. But, like, for someone who's dealing with, like, alcohol abuse, mm-hmm. not everyone drinks. So it's it's a very different reality. Well, to it's be, not just like, that, Barry. The,
2: the, uh, you know, the, the other side of it with um, alcohol misuse or alcohol abuse or alcoholism is that unlike food you cannot just abstain that yeah. so right. you will die
0: right right that's so a, that's the that, point i was that, trying yeah. to make is and, that if you so have to face complex. your fear exactly exactly
2: and the other aspect is everybody has an opinion because everybody eats yeah. <laughs> and everybody yeah. thinks they're an expert <laughs> as well which is you know and and you're right unless you have an understanding and unless you um are really um you know you have the experience it's not just even having an understanding or even having a medical degree or being a registered dietitian you need to have the experience so that's the other thing I want to say to people is Mm -hmm. please ensure that not only do you check the credentials of the people that uh, you'll get reaching out to for support but but understand how you know how many years um, experience have they had Mm -hmm. Um, and don't be afraid to ask that question because you need to be in safe hand because once you start this process and start to open up you need to ensure that the people that are supporting you are able to catch the outfall because there is always going to be an emotional outfall Mm
1: -hmm. definitely I think I mean you you share so many great resources on your page Harla but Mm -hmm. I know you're doing some body image workshops as well could you talk about that
2: yeah so um so going back to the whole reason why i set up nutrition rocks is really Mm. um so that the well population can stay well and you know educating people around um you know uh ditching dieting number one and also um you know supporting people with disordered eating because with disordered eating behavior you know where do you go for support you know Mm -hmm. there's no diagnosis for that but it doesn't mean that you know if you that that you shouldn't access help but there isn't the help out there yeah and then with that goes along body body image because disordered body image um, or body dysmorphia then impacts people's um, relationship with food you know they're so inextricably linked so we used to um, obviously pre-lockdown and we would have um, workshop sessions face-to-face here in London Um, but now because of the lockdown situation we're actually going to be re-establishing those online as well so people can access that support and we're looking um, at uh, being able to you know support people on a much wider scale as well because it has become apparent through the lockdown situation how much of an issue this actually is, and how many more people are, are, are suffering, and I think people themselves have also started to highlight that they had a problem when they probably hadn't realized that before,
1: mm-hmm.
2: simply because of the situation of lockdown. They didn't have anywhere else to go and realized that, wow, I didn't even realize this was an issue, but I clearly
1: do have an issue here, yeah. Um, I think the workshops are such a good idea as well, because I mean, all you have to do is scroll through your Instagram feed, right, and start seeing everyone's abs out or certain bodies and all different shapes and sizes. And, you know, people have different ideas of what their version of perfect might be, but we can't really get away from it. No, we can't. I mean, going back to this, I mean, I could
2: talk for hours on this subject area because it's what I, you know, battle. We've yeah. got the petition and the campaign at the moment. The link is on the, um, the, uh, on, on the Instagram page at the moment, the petition, um, to try and to fight against um, misinformation, mm-hmm. specifically around nutrition and diets. And the thing is, when people are vulnerable, that you fall into that trap. And when, you know, yeah, people literally. are showing that, yeah, they're showing their highlight reel, and so you know you're waking up and thinking, oh my goodness, so and so has just gone for a jog and I haven't even opened my eyes yet. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, um, oh wow, look at look at that plateau. You know, I'm you know I, I burn my toes, so you know it's like I'm, you know feeling totally and utterly inadequate. Yeah, and you don't. Um, you and you it's like, you know, so, yeah, and and you know the, the bottom line is actually, and this is uh, you know a key part of my practice with people is literally the only, only cleanse that you need to be doing is your social media feed you know mm-hmm. pressing delete block you know and you know even actually having some time out of social media because it isn't a true reflection of life mm-hmm. and you know even in the when you know when uh, I used to see patients in, in private practice as, as, as well you know the perception that other people have so for example um models in uh, the magazine or celebrities for example i'm seeing those people i was seeing those people who also don't feel like that you know the models don't mm-hmm. even look like the, the they magazine, seen images I because said that. because in because it, their pictures have been um edited and, and doctored and and they also have problems if i if if you could all be a fly on the wall to actually hear what i hear in clinic you would know that no you don't want to swap lives with that other person who you think their life is perfect because you have no idea what is going on in their life yeah and Uh how much turmoil is actually going on and if i was able to share that if there was some way for people to have a snapshot we would then and this is what i would wish for everybody is that we should focus on our individuality and our unique gifts and celebrate our uniqueness that is what makes us all special and different and the other thing to add really around body shape and um, i that i want to get across is that if you had took 100 women for example or 100 men and you basically fed them exactly the same food and they did mm-hmm. exactly the same work workout mm-hmm. guess what they would all still be completely different body shapes you know why because genetics right and uh, you know and and these this is the the part that people just have a lack of understanding of physiology and how the body works you know mm-hmm. I, I kind of literally want to get everybody in class and say right let's start from abc yeah, yeah because whatever you have been taught <laughs> forget that it's
1: right? wrong
2: yeah. <laughs> and we don't all want to be you know carbon copies of everybody else because I mean what what is the world going to look like then exactly you know we need to celebrate um our greatness our uniqueness. We, we should I be teaching you children yeah, you know to that, appreciate the bodies
1: we have yeah
2: exactly and because also the other aspect is if you know i and i would say that say this to people very regularly you know you're complaining about say your size well let me show you the person who has just had their leg amputated
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and that, that so might powerful. sound brutal but it's the facts because i'm telling you now you would not be concerned about the the, the shape of your legs yeah. if you would have lost the use of it and gratitude it's also an absolutely integral part of of recovery as well being grateful for what you have and making peace with your body and appreciating the health that you have
1: right now i could not agree more i think that's the best note to end (laughs) this episode on (laughs)
0: perfect like literally (laughs) couldn't have scripted that better thank you So much. I think this podcast will be so one educational for all, maybe like nutrition students or like medics or anyone in the healthcare profession, but also just so inspiring to anyone who's listening who, A, is either suffering themselves or B, like we said, knows somebody who's suffering. So we can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, opening up, sharing, you know, your thoughts and, you know, experience and so as well for you for sharing your you know your journey every week like it's it's so powerful to people especially this week for eating disorder awareness week
2: thank you both so much and also thank you so much for having this space for people to come and share so that you know people can tap in and listen to the incredible expertise that you have on your podcast and thank you for giving me the time and space I really
1: appreciate Mm -hmm. it thank Bye. you so much
2: you're so welcome you're so um, very welcome before
1: we go Halla, can you just let everyone know where they can find you where they can access your incredible resources oh
2: thank you so much okay so the website is www.nutrition-rocks.co.uk and the instagram is nutrition underscore rock so please
1: pre- please press follow and
2: mm-hmm. um yeah come say hi
1: awesome we'll link all of that in the show notes as well and again thank you so much and we will be back next week you're so welcome Bye. Bye. bye bye
0: thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the forking wellness podcast as always please rate review and subscribe
1: And share with your friends if you love
0: this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery.
1: And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.